Hi everyone, you're listening to Atomic Heart. I'm your host Adam Shi, broadcasting from the third floor of Meho House in the community of Shekin Mei in Hong Kong. This is episode 22, and we've come to the final episode of the year. I feel like I need to draw an end to the year in a big way, but I'm not sure how to do that. I'm actually in the midst of sorting out my own writing plans for 2021, so I don't have too many concrete matters to share with you this time, and so I'm just gonna go straight into today's reading. In a previous episode, I mentioned that I had three favorite writers back in my younger days. I used to sleep with their books on my bedside table. In the last episode, I read a passage by Sherwood Anderson, and before that episode, I read from James Joyce. Now we're gonna round off my top three today by reading from Catherine Mansfield. If I were Catherine Mansfield. That's the title of a blog that I had started shortly after I graduated from university. I love Mansfield's work very much. There's always an excitement in her voice, a sense of curiosity about the human condition. This passage that I'm about to read is taken from her most famous work. What happens here is. There's a wealthy family, and they have a big mansion, and they're setting up for a garden party, and they've already invited friends, and the band is ready, and the flowers are blooming, the weather is great, and the family's trying on different clothes. Everything's exciting, and while all this was going on, a man died. It was someone from a a a, a poor. Cluster of homes,、uh, right next to their big mansion, and the youngest child in the wealthy family, Laura, is telling her sister Josie that perhaps, out of respect, it may be better to call off the garden party. Stop the garden party, my dear Laura. Don't be so absurd. Of course, we can't do anything of the kind. Nobody expects us to. Don't be so extravagant. But we can't possibly have a garden party with a man dead just outside the front gate. That really was extravagant. For the little cottages were in a lane to themselves at the very bottom of a steep rise that led up to the house. A broad road ran between. True, they were far too near. They were the greatest possible eyesore, 
and they had no right to be in that neighborhood at all. They were little mean dwellings painted a chocolate brown. In the garden patches, there was nothing but cabbage stalks, sick hens, and tomato cans. The very smoke coming out of their chimneys was poverty-stricken. Little rags and shreds of smoke, so unlike the great silvery plumes that uncurled from the Sheridans' chimneys. Washerwomen lived in the lane and sweeps and a cobbler, and a man whose house front was studded all over with minute bird cages. Children swarmed. When the Sheridans were little, they were forbidden to set foot there because of the revolting language, and of what they might catch. But since they were grown up, Laura and Laurie, on their prowls, sometimes walked through. It was disgusting and sordid. They came out with a shudder, but still one must go everywhere, one must see everything. So through they went. And just think of what the band would sound like to that poor woman," said Laura. "Oh, Laura," Josie began to be seriously annoyed. "If you're going to stop a band playing every time someone has an accident, you'll lead a very strenuous life. I'm every bit as sorry about it as you. I feel just as sympathetic." Her eyes hardened. She looked at her sister just as she used to when they were little and fighting together. You won't bring a drunken workman back to life by being sentimental," she said softly. "Drunk? Who said he was drunk?" Laura turned fiercely on Josie. She said, just as they had used to say on those occasions, "I'm going straight up to tell mother." "Do, dear," cooed Josie. "Mother." Can I come into your room? Laura turned the big glass doorknob. Of course, child. Why? What's the matter? What's giving you such a color? And Mrs. Sheridan turned round from her dressing table. She was trying on a new hat. Mother. A man's been killed. Began Laura. Not in the garden. Interrupted her mother. No, no. Oh, what a fright you gave me! Mrs. Sheridan sighed with relief, and took off the big hat and held it on her knees. But listen, mother," said Laura, breathless, half choking. She told the dreadful story. Of course, we can't have our party, can we? She pleaded, "The band and everybody arriving, they'd hear us, mother. They're nearly neighbors." To Laura's astonishment, her mother behaved just like Josie. It was harder to bear because she seemed amused. She refused to take Laura seriously. But my dear child, use your common sense. It's only by accident we've heard of it. If someone had died there normally, and I can't understand how they keep alive in those pokey little holes, we should still be having our party, shouldn't we? Laura had to say yes to that.
but she felt it was all wrong. She sat down on her mother's sofa and pinched the cushion frill. Mother, isn't it terribly heartless of us? She asked. Darling, Mrs. Sheridan got up and came over to her, carrying the hat. Before Laura could stop her, she had popped it on. My child, said her mother, the hat is yours. It's made for you. It's much too young for me. I have never seen you look such a picture. Look at yourself. And she held up her hand mirror. But mother, Laura began again. She couldn't look at herself. She turned aside. This time Mrs. Sheridan lost patience just as Josie had done. You are being very absurd, Laura, she said coldly. People like that don't expect sacrifices from us. And it's not very sympathetic to spoil everybody's enjoyment as you're doing now. I don't understand, said Laura. And she walked quickly out of the room into her own bedroom. There, quite by chance, the first thing she saw was this charming girl in the mirror, in her black hat trimmed with daisies, and a long black velvet ribbon. Never had she imagined she could look like that. Is mother right? she thought. And now she hoped her mother was right. Am I being extravagant? Perhaps it was extravagant. Just for a moment she had another glimpse of that poor woman and those little children and the body being carried into the house. But it all seemed blurred, unreal, like a picture in the newspaper. I'll remember it again after the party's over, she decided. And somehow, that seemed quite the best plan. Set it right down here. We'll do the work. Three, two, one. Hey, everybody, this is Paul Gilbert. Hi, this is Pat Torpy. Hello, this is Eric Martin. My name is Billy Sheehan, and we are Mr. Big. You're listening to us right here on Atomic Heart. So that's all we have for episode 22 of Atomic Heart. The excerpt I read was taken from the famous short story, The Garden Party by Catherine Mansfield, published in 1922. The luxurious setting in the story is actually based on Mansfield's childhood home in Wellington, New Zealand. Thank you so much for listening. It's been my pleasure creating and hosting Atomic Heart on this platform. This project started in February this year, and just like that, we find ourselves saying goodbye to what's been a crazy 2020. Here I want to wish you all good health and smooth sailing in your writing and artistic dreams. My email address is adam, A-T-O-M, at atomicheart.fm, and you're always welcome to get in touch. 
Till next time, remember to keep it real and stay true to yourself. I'll see you next year. Bye now.